Welcome to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Robreus. Today we're going to talk about the late William F. Buckley. A writer, intellect, and polymath, Buckley was founder and editor of National Review Magazine for decades and a contemporary of President Nixon. Here with us to talk about WFB is Fox News Washington correspondent James Rosen. Rosen is the editor and curator of a new book of Buckley's writings called A Torch Kept Lit, Great Lives of the 20th Century. He's also the author of other bestsellers, including Cheney One-on-One, A Candid Conversation with America's Most Controversial Statesman, and his copiously researched biography about Nixon's Attorney General, the strong, the strong Man, John Mitchell, and the Secrets of Watergate. Rosen also has the rare distinction of being named by the National Press Club as the funniest man in Washington. <laughs> James, thank you for taking the time to interview. Well, thank you. I, I, I am obliged, you know, you're told in TV school never to correct the host, but the award I won was DC's funniest celebrity, not DC's funniest person. And I don't care so much about funniest, but I cling tenaciously to that word celebrity. <laughs> now, I've heard that you're a protege of the late William F. Buckley. How did you come to meet and work with him? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the program and, and allowing me to discuss the torch kept lit with your listeners. Um, I first met William F. Buckley in 1991, shortly after I'd gotten out of college. In college, I had purchased at a used bookstore in Baltimore um, a, a collection of Bill Buckley's columns that had been published in 1975 called Execution Eve and Other Contemporary Ballads. It was the anthology of Buckley's columns that contained most of his writing about Watergate. And that book was autographed by William F. Buckley to someone. And I thought, that's interesting. And now I, own, I have William F. Buckley's autograph. And then a short while later, I was in New York in a used bookstore, and I, and I came across a book that was autographed to William F. Buckley. And I thought to myself, you know, if I write him a cheeky letter and I offer to return this book, I bet that would be the ticket to meeting the man. And sure enough, he graciously invited me to, to meet with him. And I did so at the offices of National Review in New York in September 1991. I recount this in the acknowledgment section of A Torch Kept Lit. And from there, quite unexpectedly, I emerged with a small grant uh, from something called the Historical Research Foundation that Buckley was involved with to begin work on my book about John Mitchell, Richard Nixon's attorney general. Uh, Mitchell and Buckley were friends. They knew each other. And, um, and I think he had a soft spot for John Mitchell, and he wanted that book to come to life. I regret that it took me 17 years to complete the thing. It was always a part-time uh, venture. Um, and um, uh, Mr. Buckley did not live to see it, unfortunately, but he knew I was hard at work on it. And I carried on a relationship with Bill Buckley in 2000 for his 75th birthday. I interviewed him for an hour uh, for, for Fox News. Only about 15 minutes of that ever aired. Uh, and this perhaps might be the uh, opportunity for me to indulge in my impersonation of the man, which he himself on that occasion told me was pretty good. Uh, I asked him, now Buckley came from a, a wealthy family. He married into a wealthy family. As, as our listeners should be reminded, I suppose, uh, he was the founder of National Review magazine, uh, basically the godfather of the modern American conservative movement. He hosted Firing Line, uh, an interview show with, uh, which ran from the 60s through the 1990s, the longest-running TV show with a single host. Uh, and he wrote best-selling books, best-selling spy novels, best-selling books about sailing the oceans with his friends, um, and uh, in general, live life on a grand scale. And this was October 2000 when I was interviewing him for his 75th birthday. And I said, Mr. Buckley, when was the last time that you felt insecure about something? Physically insecure, emotionally insecure, financially, in a bad neighborhood after dark, anything at all. When was the last time you felt insecure? 
and he earnestly thinks and he says, oh, there have been some rather anxious moments at sea. Oh, there was one particularly horrific squall which came through. I wasn't entirely sure we weren't going to drown. And I said, and what year was that, sir? And he said, 1958. So let's recap, Jonathan. I've just asked you, when was the last time you felt a twinge of insecurity about anything at all under the sun? And you have to dimly harken back 42 years into the past. That is a life well lived, and it's the life that's on display in a torch kept lit. What kind of man was he? What were the values he believed in? Buckley was, first and foremost, a man of, of deep Catholic faith, and he wrote repeatedly on that subject, uh, capping that with uh, uh, the closest he ever really came to a memoir. In 1997, he published Nearer My God, um, uh, an autobiography of faith. Uh, so he was uh, deeply devout, um, and but he loved um, humor and wit, and uh, which isn't to say that those things are always estranged from Catholicism or, or piety, uh, but he had a very lively wit. Uh, he was a champion debater at Yale. And, you know, when Time magazine put William F. Buckley Jr. on its cover in 1967 beneath a David Levine caricature of him, the headline on the cover was, William F. Buckley, conservatism can be fun. And in essence, Buckley took his good looks, his lively wit, his debating skills, his family fortune. He founded National Review. And he made, almost through the sheer force of his personality, he made conservatism palatable in the media age. And he had just this incredible command of the language. So, uh, for example, in the Cold War, when he was at the height of his influence, um, Buckley would be uh, confronted with moral equivalence. People who would say, in essence, that the KGB and CIA are the same guys. They just wear different colored trench coats. And Buckley would lean back with that slouch into the chair, uh, and his eyes would be uh, a fire, and he would be dotting his tongue around his lips in that strange way, with that strange patrician accent. English was his third language. And he, and he would say, uh, men who push old ladies into the way of an onrushing bus and men who push old ladies out of the way of an onrushing bus, uh, it seems to me, ought not to be grouped together as men who go around pushing old ladies around. Um, so a torch kept lit has eulogies that he wrote for 50 of the towering figures of the 20th century, good and evil. Uh, and uh, in 30 or plus of these cases, he knew these people personally. One of them, of course, is Richard Nixon. And there are two pieces in the book devoted to Richard Nixon. One, uh, when he passed away in April 1994, and another written in August 1994 for the 20th anniversary of President Nixon's resignation. And I, I would say that uh, the, when, of course, our listeners will remember that when President Nixon passed away, Bob Dole gave the eulogy uh, at, at former President Nixon's funeral in California, and he made reference, he broke down crying, Dole, uh, and he made reference to the age of Nixon. It was really kind of the age of Buckley as well. And for, um, for the, the period when Buckley was at the peak of his influence, the preeminent man of the right was not Ronald Reagan, who went on to become Buckley's great friend, uh, and of course, who's also eulogized here uh, in a torch kept lit, but Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was uh, the embodiment of Bill Buckley's maxim that he would always support the most rightward viable candidate. But the policies of the Nixon administration sometimes dismayed Buckley and movement conservatives, such as wage and price controls, the opening to Red China, 
Buckley was on the trip to China with President Nixon in February 1972. Um, and he wrote at the time for Playboy magazine, Buckley did, that watching President Nixon toast Show and Lie in the, in the Great Hall in, in what was then called Peking was, uh, was kind of mind-blowing for him. Uh, because after all, Richard Nixon had come to prominence as a leading anti-communist. So, um, in any case, there's there's lots for people who who care about the legacy of Richard Nixon to sink their teeth into into this book in a torch kept lit. And if you'd like to read some of the samples from the eulogies, um, you can go to a torchkeptlit.com. In your comments, you write that. No president, no public figure vexed WFB the way that Richard Nixon did. Why do you think that's so? Again, because um, there were expectations on the part of conservatives that Richard Nixon, when he finally attained the White House, was going to govern in a certain kind of way, and he didn't. Um, Nixon himself understood that he was not a movement conservative. I think it was to Pat Buchanan that he famously said uh, in the 1960s, uh, that uh, after his experiences in 1960 and 62, Nixon understood that you can never afford to alienate the conservatives, but you can't win with just the conservatives. And so Nixon felt uh, uh, grateful, I think, for conservative support, but um, sometimes constrained by their ideological expectations. And some of the things that RN called the big play, such as the, the opening to China, um, would have been opposed by conservatives and indeed were. Uh, but so I think that uh, as, a, as a public figure, Buckley was vexed by Nixon's ideological departures from time to time. And then, of course, in Watergate, William F. Buckley had a very personal connection to that whole set of events in the form of his enduring friendship with E. Howard Hunt, the Watergate conspirator, who, uh, along with G. Gordon Liddy, helped plan the Watergate break-in and was a key figure in the Watergate cover-up. And at one point on the Nixon tapes, the president and his aides can be heard talking fairly casually about how they could uh, rely on Bill Buckley to write a column that would uh, be sympathetic to Howard Hunt. I think Charles Colson was the other discussant in that conversation. And Buckley recoiled from what he considered the vulgarity that was expressed, albeit in private, on the Nixon tapes. And he recoiled from what he saw as um, sometimes unfortunate treatment of Howard Hunt, even as though I think he was also disappointed with Hunt's conduct in the affair. Uh, and at one point, Howard Hunt went to William F. Buckley, who they had worked together in CIA in the 1950s in Mexico. Uh, and Buckley was the godfather to Hunt's first four children. And at one point in Watergate, and, and he, E. Howard Hunt was a great patriot and a, and a legendary spy uh, but someone who got caught up in some bad things, uh, he went during Watergate to William F. Buckley, his friend, his nationally famous friend, and confided aspects of Watergate exclusively to Buckley uh, with instructions about what he should do with the information in case anything untoward ever happened to Howard Hunt. So again, Buckley was let down by the conduct that he saw in Watergate. But when Richard Nixon died, uh, and Buckley wrote a terrific eulogy for him, which again is included in The Torch Kept Lit. Uh, he said in the final analysis, he, meaning Nixon, was a heroic, intensely personal figure whose life was lived on the public stage. He was at once the weakest of men and the strongest, a master of self-abuse and of self-recovery, stained by worldliness and driven by the hunger to serve. For Americans under 70, Buckley wrote in 1994, 
There never was a world without Richard Nixon. Not many people can pitch whole generations into loneliness as he has now done. R.I.P. In his obituary of R.N., Buckley wrote that R.N. possessed no spectacular personal talent, but only the force of an extraordinary personality. Can you describe what he meant by that? I think what he meant that uh, Richard Nixon was not considered a brilliant writer. He was not considered a brilliant speaker uh, or one of particular style. Uh, Nixon wrote and spoke in direct terms, um, which were uh, perhaps calculated to, uh, to appeal to the largest number of, of, of voters. Um, but he, Buckley recognized in Nixon um, the personal qualities of perseverance, resilience, grit uh, that took someone who was popularly described as an introvert in an extrovert's profession of politics uh, all the way to the White House and in 1972 to one of the greatest landslides in American history. Was Buckley able to reconcile the idea that sometimes conservatives need to do moderate things in order to grow the party? Yes, and Buckley wrote a, a very important column for the New York Times Magazine in 1971 called, Is Nixon One of Us? And by way of answering the question, Buckley said, of course, Richard Nixon is not to be confused with any as a, as a movement conservative in the mold of Barry Goldwater. Uh, but Buckley also at times undertook to defend Nixon from conservative outrage uh, over these various policy decisions. Uh, for example, one of the most controversial was the hiring by President Nixon of Daniel Patrick Moynihan, a Kennedy man, uh, to help craft um, a, a revamp of welfare. And uh, the plan that Moynihan came up with and which the president proposed to Congress and which died in the Senate, uh, I believe in 1971, was called the Family Assistance Plan. And it contained as one of its key platforms a guaranteed personal income. Uh, to a conservative mind, this was heresy of the highest order. But in writing about Nixon uh, at the time, uh, Buckley said, did anyone really imagine that Richard Nixon was going to dismantle the welfare state? Uh, what's interesting, too, about their interactions and about uh, conservative politics in the early 1970s was that Roe v. Wade, which was uh, issued by the U.S. Supreme Court in January 1973 and authored by a Nixon nominee, Harry Blackman, um, hadn't yet uh, served to make abortion and issues surrounding abortion kind of the litmus test for one's conservatism. So the entire back and forth between Buckley and the conservatives, uh, between, excuse me, between Richard Nixon, Buckley, and the conservatives wasn't dominated the way such a discourse would be in, in subsequent decades by the abortion issue. So they were able to pursue uh, their interests, Nixon and conservatives, and their involvements with each other uh, on other terrain, uh, less, less, uh, less charged in some ways, because of course abortion is very much a religious issue. Uh, so that terrain tended to be foreign policy, economic policy, and what have you. Conversely, how did, how did RN feel about Buckley? So Nixon recognized that William F. Buckley was a key figure, uh, on, not only on the right, but in, in, in news media. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, when Richard Nixon was president, Bill Buckley's brother, James Buckley, uh, won the United States Senate seat in New York State in 1970 and served in the United States Senate. 
So the Buckleys had to be uh, recognized as kind of a force in politics. Uh, they had this large family with uh, with great skill and uh, uh, immersion in media, and so in essence, Nixon I think viewed the Buckleys as kind of a, a political block unto themselves that had to be very carefully and gingerly treated. Uh, to that effect, Nixon would uh, appoint Bill Buckley to somewhat symbolic positions. Uh, at one point, Buckley served as a delegate to the United Nations uh, on behalf of the United States not the ambassador to the United Nations, but as part of our delegation there. And Buck, one of Buckley's best books, United Nations Journal, A Delegate's Odyssey, uh, from 1974, I believe, is, uh, it recounts the six months that Buckley spent doing that. Uh, and what's funny about that book, by the way, is that even though it was published in the Cold War, when we had a kind of a bipolar system between the U.S. and the USSR, um, and then the third world countries, the non-aligned countries, uh, just about everything Buckley writes about the United Nations at that time, it's kind of uh, peculiar black is white, down is up uh, ethos that prevails at the Security Council sometimes is all still true today, even though we don't live in the same construct. Um, but in so I think Nixon, in essence, was trying to co-opt Buckley. Uh, Buckley, for his part, told Playboy magazine in 1970, I've just discovered a new sensual treat which it is only fitting that Playboy's readers should be the first to know about. Would you like to know what it is? And Playboy said, of course. And Buckley said, it is to have the President of the United States take notes while you speak. Uh, and he was referring to his Oval Office sessions with Richard Nixon, the President, who was the first sitting President that Bill Buckley had more or less direct access to. Buckley said that RN gained the affection of conservatives without specifically advancing their cause. What did he mean by that? Right. I, I think careful attention has to be paid to the word that Buckley used there, which was specifically advancing their cause. Um, and uh, I, I don't agree. I think that, first of all, there were specific ways in which uh, Richard Nixon advanced conservatism. Um, certainly earlier in his career, if not as president. Uh, but Richard Nixon, when it was least fashionable to do so, at the height of the age of radical chic uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, um, stood for traditional conservative family values and against uh, uh, the confluence of amnesty, abortion, and acid. Uh, but again, Buckley was disappointed by some very specific uh, ideological departures uh, on, on Nixon's part. Um, and so I think what Buckley was trying to say was that he, Nixon's, uh, Nixon's entire demeanor and his and the and the the nature of his appeal to the electorate um, was of benefit to the conservative movement, even if Nixon, from a strictly policy point of view, wasn't always. Now I've heard that you are the master of imitations, and you demonstrated that with your impersonations of William F. Buckley. Can you do a conversation between RN and WFB? <laughs> this would plunge us uh, solidly into. The speculative, I think. Um, I'm not sure if there are any uh, any tape recordings that survive of a Nixon Buckley conversation. There probably there probably are. Um, but let me just say this: uh, you've got to get these fellows like Buckley and the others, so the conservatives. You got to get them behind you, Bob. <laughs> that's. I think that's that's a, that that shall have to suffice. Thank you, James, so much for your time. Thank you, and I just want to remind our listeners, if you go to a torchkeptlit.com, a torchkeptlit.com, 
You can read samples of the of the eulogies. There's eulogies here not just for Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan and presidents of the United States, Eisenhower as well, but for uh, figures from the world of arts and letters like Johnny Carson and John Lennon and Elvis Presley. And I like to say this book is the only place in the world where Milton Friedman rubs right up against Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. So there's something for everyone, and I hope your listeners will consider purchasing multiple copies of a torch-kept lit Great Lives of the 20th Century uh, for those in their family who love history and politics and sailing and spy novels and music and all the things that Bill Buckley loved. Thank you, James. All right. Thank you, Jonathan.